Benvido, which is how you say welcome in Galician. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator of the podcast and the host, and I I should be getting out my thesaurus and finding a better word than excited or thrilled or gobsmacked or anything like that to preface how excited I am. There it is. Excited about today's episode with Ben Dixon or Benjamin Dixon, as you may know him online. I'm thrilled to have this happen. I really genuinely am. And I will tell you a little bit more about him. But first, let me remind you that the Daddy Unscripted podcast is part of the Osiris podcast network. And the Osiris podcast network is dedicated not only to music podcasts, but to culture podcasts. And that's one of the things that I'm really trying to jump heavily into this year as well, is to have more guests that are here to talk a little bit about culture as well as my guests, you know, that you've been kind of used to hearing from some authors, some filmmakers, some athletes, some musicians. I really do want to drive towards in uh, today's day and age where we have so many different issues that are pressing on us as humans and as men, as fathers, as women, everybody here on this planet. We have so many different things that we are having to deal with. So I am going to try and drive the podcast to have at least a handful of guests that are going to challenge us a little bit to think about some different things that maybe aren't on our radar every day or aren't on them enough. And Ben is definitely one of those people. He has his own show called The Benjamin Dixon Show, which you can find that podcast. He is the founder of Progressive Army, and he is the co-founder of The North Star, which is the new version of The North Star. For any of you who are familiar with the former version back in the day that was founded by Frederick Douglass of the abolitionist paper that was circulated that actually went worldwide. I was shocked to read that um, earlier this week as prep for this conversation. But Ben is, he does so much great work. He is a great political mind. He is at the forefront of these people that are really trying to make sure that there are a lot of these important stories that are not told in the news that we don't hear enough about are getting told um, in the black community. So I'm going to do this little quick bit of business about Osiris podcasts, and then we'll get right to the episode. Osiris. Southern Songs and Stories is a documentary series on the artists, music, and culture of the South with interviews, songs, a good bit of history, and insights into how all of it fits together. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, inviting you to come explore the music of the South and the artists who make it on Southern Songs and Stories. Okay, and let's jump right in with my conversation tonight with Ben Dixon. I always start out these episodes with I'm very excited, but I really have been so excited about this episode today with Ben Dixon. I have been 
listening to your shows. I have been reading your different posts in different areas. I've been really geeked up about this one. So I can't say thank you enough for taking the time out of your extremely, extremely busy life on a Sunday night, nonetheless, to join the podcast. So thank you, Ben. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I I mean, it's busy, Tim, but it's um, certainly a pleasure to be here and be able to speak with you. Cool. I'm sure it's a very good busy because you have so many good things that are uh, not too far down the road. Yeah, no, we're we are about 19 days away from the official launch of the North Star. I partnered with Sean King. You know, if anyone's in these spaces, you know who Sean King is. So I partnered with him and we started working about a year and a half ago on building a media platform. I reached out to him and said, like, let's do this. Uh, You know, I had an idea. He had a platform. We got together and made an even better idea together, and um, we're launching in about 19 days. Awesome. I've been watching and paying attention to the Twitter uh, announcements and everything going up, so I'm excited to see that that's happening. So when this comes out, it will probably have just launched then, and that will be... I know the website currently is still building the North Star building the north but we actually acquired the north so that that was super exciting and you know a lot of hard work i guess 99 percent of that work was sean like working his <laughs> magic to get all i did was once the domain was available i, I took it from the original person and put it in our <laughs> account so 99 <laughs> of that was sean getting it so uh the north is where we're going to land um when we launch on the 14th awesome So we will definitely talk some more about that and the labor of love that that has been for both of you and so many people that have linked up with you and started to back you guys in a very good way for, I mean, an amazing revival of that. And, I, you know, truth be told, like, I am a um, completely separate from all of this in my little bubble in Southern California in cookie cutter land, you know coming from a place of a very small private school where Mm. I think my entire time in school, there were, gosh, it was, it was almost entirely uh, white people. So Mm. it, it, you know, for me, like I've always kind of been looked at by many of my friends of, of multiple colors um, as what, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? Exactly. You're kind Mm. of a weirdo because of my interest in so many different cultures. And so it is very exciting to me to see all of this happening because even as I was reading through some of the stuff last week and reading the original byline of the North Star when it was created, it just gave me the chills, like thinking about how important the truth is from, you know, every every point, every person here on the planet. And uh, so I'm, I'm very jazzed for you guys doing this. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate that. Of course. So let's go back and um, get into, I'm sure, some of your history with your family and with your dad. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with who you are today. So I'll let you <laughs> um, get back into some of those stories. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, I think this is a fascinating platform here. And and it, what you're doing, your show, is um, really something that, I don't know, it just resonates with me because of the significance of my father in my life, but also my children, right? The role that I'm playing as a father, 
most certainly, you know, my dad shaped so much about me, good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full transparency. I'm, I was laying in the bed the other morning and I was like, man, I am my father. I'm about his same weight, his same height. The only thing about my dad was he had his hair. I'm bald now. So my dad, oh. up until the time he died, he had all of his hair. And I'm laying in bed and my kids are coming in and I'm like, wow, here I am some 30 years later. Um, and, 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 you know, my son just turned eight and I'm 38, 30 years later. And I'm, you know, giving him the same type of memories of my dad laid up underneath the blankets without his shirt on, just kind of watching TV kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just, the it, I don't know, that that relationship that you have with your parents, uh, most certainly with your father, you know, there's some indelible memories that you just can never get rid of. And then when you see yourself repeating them and, and living it out, I'm just fascinated to see, hopefully I'm around to see my son when he realizes that he's just me, just, you know, a different version of me. But um, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I don't know if you want to point me in the direction because I can just talk forever about um, my dad or, or what I've learned from him and then becoming a dad myself. That's great. Well, all of it is welcome. But start out like uh, how how was your dad? What were his circumstances? Where, yeah. where was he born and okay. uh, his siblings and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So my dad, um, Percy was his name, um, mm. born many, many, many years ago. Uh, he, he was born up North. He had two sisters and um, my father was a really smart guy, but he was, you know, he felt called to the ministry and so the story that my mother always tells about him, even when he was living, right, she was always impressed with the story was that, you know, when he was when he was young, fresh out of college, he had an opportunity to work for IBM. Now, mind you, my dad was born in the 40s. So by the time mm-hmm. he was ready to work for IBM was, you know, um, it was a, an, a great chance to get in at the company before it became all that it, we knew it to be in the 80s and 90s. They flew him around the country to take tests here and take there. And he was like really qualified to work for the firm, for the company. But he decided to go into the ministry. Um, He was a Baptist preacher for 40 years. And um, because of that, it was like we really moved around the country a whole lot. And um, one thing about ministry, uh, you know, it was not then what it is now where you can make like a easily make $120,000 a year being mm-hmm. a pastor of a decent sized church or, you know, uh, 80,000 of a smallest church or, you know, even 50,000 for a really small church. No, 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 no. Back then my dad was probably making, I don't know, $15,000 a year, $20,000 a year and having to, you know, work another job just to sustain the family. We grew up. One thing about my dad, he always made sure now the t- economic times were different but he was able to make sure that we always lived in a decent home. Now, cars and clothing were a totally different thing. We'd never had nice cars ever. <laughs> One of the biggest, the most, uh, it was, it's fond now, but at the time it was so embarrassing was, you know, it was 1994 and I was a freshman in high school and my father had a 1974 sky blue Cadillac. And oh. it had the loudest engine. And now, it, you know, previous years before that, like it was fun because we could hit 100 miles an hour like it was nothing on a highway. But I was in high school now and it was time for him to get a decent car. <laughs> but yeah, he, yeah. Didn't, he didn't care. He drove around the corner uh, of my high school with the loudest revving engine <laughs> in the ugliest sky blue Cadillac. 
and you know, but, but that's what we could afford. And, yeah. you know, so he worked really, really hard, but because of his min- uh, commitment to ministry, and I'm not blaming church because I still go to church now, but, you know, his commitment, he really did not get a chance to realize like all of his, you know, all the potential he could have had financially. And, and but, you know, that was cool because he taught us so many other things during that time um, where we, you know, we had to get hand-me-down clothes and, you know, beat up cars, but we lived in a in decent neighborhoods. So, mm-hmm. um, so many other things I could say, man. But uh, you know, <laughs> you better point me in the right direction. Or so I'll no worries. <laughs> so, where was where was he raised? He was raised in two. Okay, so my it's weird. My family, both sides of my family, actually have two different cities that they both call home: uh, mm-hmm. Cleveland, Ohio, and um, Louisiana. Right. New, oh, okay. You know, around the New Orleans area, real small town yeah. around New Orleans. And um, he grew up in Cleveland, but he also had a home, a home rather in. Um, and actually, I got to get it a, a little closer. So my mother was from New Orleans and he was from a place called Utica, Mississippi. Very small town. Oh, OK. And so they had roots in the south, but they met in the same city, same church in Cleveland, Ohio. Hmm. So they met and he was like, you're going to be my wife. And he, I guess he said like when she walked in, he knew God told her that that was going to be his wife. I think he was just trying to spit game, but he ended up, he ended up, you know, you know, marrying her. And uh, so they, they got married really young. He was 21. She was 18. He had just finished college. He finished college a little early and um, she went back to finish college later. But, um, you know, he has, a he had a lot of, deeply rooted connections in Ohio and um, those those connections still exist today right so I have a lot of family in Ohio and a lot of family in Louisiana and mm. um, not so much family in Mississippi anymore but you know there there's a lot of uh you know well he's buried in Mississippi and and my grandmother is buried in Mississippi my grandfather's buried in Mississippi so there's a lot of roots there still mm-hmm. and did he have a big family or was he from a small family? So he only had, he, he had two sisters. So it's relative, right? So now the two girls and one boy is kind of considered a big family. People look at my wife and I, and we have three kids and they're like, Oh my God, you have so many kids. Yeah. But but my mother, she came from a family of uh, eight siblings. So, you know, so at the time I'm pretty sure everybody thought he had a very small family. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, his sisters, uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about them. I know my cousins better than I knew my aunts, but they were they were relatively close. Yeah, it it was just a, a a lot of distance. I think is the biggest thing. Like when in my formative years, they lived up north in Ohio, and we lived down south. So you know, you only get to see them on special occasions and that kind of scenario. Yeah, are you still in Ohio now? No, no, I actually never lived in Ohio. I've um. Um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia now, just completely, uh, we're all over the place, man. My family was huge. Like I have a lot of family in Atlanta too. Now that I think about it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I came to Atlanta to do this politics thing and media, uh, thing. So that's how I ended up here. Okay. Yeah. I, um, with one of my old jobs, I used to have to go to Cleveland mm-hmm. all the time and, uh, they, being a sunny SoCal person all my life when I would be out there in the winter and they would say, we really want to just relocate you out here. And I was absolutely "Eh, not. Yeah. I'm going to keep those uh, (laughs) flights going. Thank you very much. Listen, I can't even take the gloom of winter in 
uh, Atlanta. Now, um, <laughs> I spent many years in Boston. My, my wife and um, my kids, we, we uh, lived in Boston for uh, about five years. Now, it's mm. cold in Boston, but you still have kind of a tropical, you know, you, you get the sun a lot because we're right mm-hmm. there uh, on the ocean. So the difference between Cleveland and Boston is that Boston, it could be negative 10 degrees and the sun will be shining. Yeah. It could be 50, 60 degrees hot and it'll be gloomy. And it's like, does the sun ever come out in Cleveland? So I totally understand. I would never, I, I, I love, I love all my family in Cleveland. If you're listening, <laughs> I love you, but I could never live there. Yeah. It was, uh, it was kind of rough. It was very interesting being that close to the lakes and just walking around town and you would just, turn around one building and just walk into oh yeah not even a, a wind but just this <laughs> cold that was just ridiculous <laughs> cold to change your life man that cold to hit you like it's something to behold to be honest with you oh yeah i had a different level of respect for the people who were so uh committed or you could use another word to their cigarette smoking that they would go out for their cigarette breaks and stand in that freezing ridiculous cold just yeah. to have their cigarettes yeah no that's, that's, that's uh, a commitment <laughs> yeah or or addiction i don't know one one of the two take your pick depends on what yeah. time it is yeah so that's really interesting my dad was actually a pastor as well so oh, wow. I, yeah so i i know a little bit of what you're talking about about the dedication to that and my dad also you know he was a veterinarian as well and mm. so he had two extremely full-time jobs right. in both of those. Right, right. No, I can't. You know, I mean, I know your audience knows this. There's like a level of ambivalence. Like you love, you know, you love your parents. And then there's times when you couldn't stand your parents. And, you know, one of the things that, that brings up that dichotomy for me is the frustration that I had um, with him being a pastor growing up. Uh, but then as I got older, it, it became one of the things that I appreciated the most about him because while he couldn't give me a lot of things financially, he gave me a lot of things in terms of character that, you know, maybe, yeah, he could have probably taught me those things without the use of the Bible. But, you know, that was his way of teaching me these things. So, you know, I didn't appreciate it at the time, basically. But now I, as a, you know older guy and kids of my own, I really appreciated it. Yeah. So when you were a kid, was he gone a lot because of that? Or how was your relationship with him? I, this is another way I am repeating my father. Oh my (laughs) goodness. Like he would be home every night. He didn't do a lot of traveling. Neither do I, but it was like, he'd always come home after I was asleep. And I promise you the number one memory I have right now of my kids is going in and just looking at them while they're asleep because I'm always home after they go to sleep. So Mm -hmm. he was always home. He, he, he was always in town. He didn't do a lot of traveling. But he was so committed to his work that we oftentimes didn't see him until after dinner and everyone was going going to sleep. Like if I wanted to see my dad, I had to go to church to see my dad. Mm -hmm. And how did that do you feel any kind of I mean, I, I know you were talking about how you've come to understand and respect and appreciate a lot of the stuff as you've gotten older when you were a kid was there resentment i i think partially for me it was a little bit of understanding that he was doing something good and for other people and so i I think it was different than 
maybe if in, in your case, if he was working for IBM and you weren't <laughs> seeing him a bunch, that it might feel different? Yeah, I. Um, that's a good question. I, you know, my mother really played a serious role here. She mm-hmm. made sure that no matter what frustrations we had with our father, that we always had to take a minute and put it into context of who, what, when, where, and how. What was he doing? Who was he doing it for? How was he doing it? And just recognizing the sacrifice that he made. Now, did it feel good to have to go through that exercise all the time? No, because she's like, you know, just I want to be mad at him today. But mm-hmm. she really didn't, uh, you know, she would hear us out, right? But she always made sure that we try to put it in context. And 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 even when, like, you know, even when she got into arguments with him, she would never allow us to disrespect him, right? It was about, you know, understanding what your father was doing in the household and, and try to have a level of respect. I think if you subtract that out of the equation, there's no telling how I would have felt about my dad not really being, he was there. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like the exact opposite of what other people experience. My dad was there emotionally, mm-hmm. but he wasn't really there physically as much as he as I would have liked because he was so busy in the church. But then if you recognize like how much he gave to us emotionally and, and in terms of character and in terms of example, you know, I can't be mad at that dude for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was like quality over quantity. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. And, and, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a, it's a same thing. I'm like, I'm begging. I'm like hoping, I hope my kids understand. I give them the very best quality time I could give them. Um, one thing I try to do now, I don't have any memories of me playing any sports with my dad, right? Um, mm-hmm. So now whenever whenever it's not raining in Atlanta, which it does all the time, 40 days, <laughs> and, 40 days and 40 nights at a time. Um, yeah. But whenever the sun comes out, I go out with my kids. Both, uh, well, I have three. One of them is just turned one, so he can't go outside. But my daughter and my son, we go outside and play frisbee with my daughter i try to get her to catch the football but she's not really there yet and then i play football with my son because i want i want some indelible memories of us being outside playing together that's the only thing i'm trying to not really one-up my dad but that's what i missed so i'm trying to give it to my kids Mm -hmm. that's huge for you to recognize that because even in in that absence of it that you may have had the recognition of how big those memories are oh yeah is you know that's a step that you've made on your own so yeah i applaud you for that thanks man i appreciate it. i know and this is like i love my dad he's gone but i i in terms of like being outside outdoors playing i remember throwing the ball up in the air and and you know the old saying gotta throw yeah. it back down to you and i'm like no, I want my dad to throw it to me, but you know yeah. that you know he was out at somebody's hospital visiting the sick. So you know, I I, I think his time was better served there. I I got what I needed. Yeah, and how many siblings do you have? Okay, so that goes back to that question of uh, big family or small family, right? Um, I had a huge family. I have two brothers and I have three sisters. We are the proverbial Brady bunch. Oh, yeah. I honestly have no idea, Tim. I have no idea how my parents did it because, you know, I I'm struggling with two, three kids, but they did it. <laughs> yeah, they did it with six kids. So 
three girls, three boys, uh, two, three boys total. My sisters got on my nerves like forever and to no end. And I, I think that's everybody's story. And my older mm-hmm. brother was like like my dad in the sense where he was always because he was so much older. He was going to work and then going to college. And then my younger brother got on my nerves to no end because, of course, <laughs> he wanted my time and I wanted to do other things. It's the classic story of, of sibling rivalry and love. Yeah. And are you guys all pretty close now? Yeah. I, I mean, both physically and emotionally. So we're, you know, hey, when we lived in Boston was, you know, I loved Boston. It was a great city, but it was one of the most depressing times in my life. Not because I didn't get sunshine. It was because I was like a, at least 1500 miles away from my closest family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my older brother was in California. So that's like literally on the exact opposite coast. And so I I didn't see my family for like two years, two and a half years, because it was just we were in the grind in Boston. Like we just couldn't get our faces up from our work to go and travel. Um, so when we moved to Atlanta, my brother from California moved to Houston and where my other siblings are right now. And then I have my mother who's in Alabama. And so everybody's a lot closer. So I think I saw my family more in like a one month period than I saw them for two years. So. You know, we are physically a lot closer. It takes a little driving, but it's not a big deal. And emotionally, like we, you know, it's kind of weird. Like after my dad passed away, um, my family really did not have a home per se. Mm -hmm. And I don't really mean that in the physical sense. We always had houses, but we didn't have like a centralized location that we could really say was our home. And, you know, I I, I said to my mother the other day, it's going to sound weird, but we have a group chat, a group text. And that's really, that's where our home is. Like we mm-hmm. laugh in there. We cry in there. We get great news in there. We have bad news that comes to there. We, you know, we share pictures with everybody. We joke, we clown each other, you know? So it's like, we are very much emotionally close and our home right now is that group chat. Nothing wrong with that. That's taking advantage of technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it helps. And it and it really helps because like when we got together for Christmas, there was no catching up that was needed because we literally talk every single day. We may not pick up the phone, but we are, you know, if 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 it's a really funny day, I can pick up my phone and see 150 messages that I missed and I know that 149 <laughs> of them are in that chat. <laughs> so, that's great. When now you're you said your dad passed how long ago? Um <clears throat> it'll be 14 years November 2nd 2005. So it'll be uh, oh, 14 man. years this year. Yeah, my my dad died on November 10th, so <laughs> very close. Yeah. Makes that uh holiday time very interesting. Yeah, um particularly the first year, right? You know, it at the time and i'm i'm grateful at the time that he passed it was it didn't feel as dark and gloomy as my memories betray it to be right now like right now when i think back on it i i see everything is a everything is dark you know the house was dark the house was gloomy the um the only thing that wasn't gloomy was when we were riding to the uh, to the graveside it was literally the most beautiful day that any of us had mm-hmm. ever seen and we all had to comment on it but outside of that, it was like it's like one big blur of of just gloom. And but I remember during that time that we were surprisingly strong and we have a way, you know, we we didn't get together and cry. You know, there was not a time where all of us got into the room together and just cried about it. 
we worked and we worked through it and we, you know, we had to, you know, put on the services and we had to connect this and get insurance that. And so we just did the work and then we took time to laugh with each other. Um, so I do know in my head that it wasn't as gloomy as my heart tells me that it was, but then mm-hmm. maybe I'm still lying to myself. I don't know, mm-hmm. but there you have it. And you were like 24 at the time. Um, 25. I was 25. I was, I was single. I was young. I was living my life and, um, I was hanging out with a friend and, um, my brother called me and, told me that he was unresponsive and then I was like okay you know you stay there with mom and I'll I'll wake everybody up and get them you know praying because that's what we do and mm-hmm. um so then 30 minutes later I had already called everybody 30 minutes later he called me and told me that it was you know that he had passed now truthfully uh he was probably already gone when he called me the first time but uh it was just enough time for us for me to give everybody a preparation call and then call them back and uh, tell all the rest of my brothers and sisters that he had passed away. Um, I had a roommate at the time and uh, he knew my dad and he was, you know, he, you know, he took it a little harder than I could allow myself to take it at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. And so it, it's uh, wow. Hey, but there you have it. November 2nd, 2005, a day which will live in infamy. <laughs> yeah. My dad had not been, pastoring his church for a few years leading up to that but it was it was still cool to see all of the people from our church people yeah. that he had been involved with for so long yeah. coming together and still to this day like I sound a lot like my dad I look a lot like him mm. and I will still see people who were in my dad's church that maybe haven't seen me in forever and they'll talk to me for about 30 seconds to 90 seconds of them hearing me and I'll just see their eyes like yeah. welling up and it will like stop the conversation and they'll have to tell me how much it's yeah. flooring them to hear basically hear my dad talking to them. So it's kind of interesting. You know, what throws me is when I run into an older guy who had to have been like popping at the same time my dad was popping young and vibrant. They're the same generation mm-hmm. and they wear the same cologne as my father. Oh. And that, yeah, that would be one thing that, you know, would really trigger me. Like I'm at the office at the North star. I haven't told anybody this story. I'm at this office at the North star and this guy comes in and, you know, he's he's kind of heavy set like my dad was. He kind of dressed like my dad would dress with some, you know, church slacks and, a, and, I don't know. Well, my dad would never wear this biker vest that this guy was wearing, but the church, <laughs> but the slacks and the, and the and the shirt underneath the vest, I was like, that's something my dad would wear. And he came into my office to use a printer because at the time we were, you know, brand new offices and and only had one printer. And he smelled so much like my dad. I it's gonna sound crazy, but I just wanted to hug this guy. I wanted to oh, hug yeah. him, and I didn't hug him because it's been totally weird. But I'm like, <laughs> like, dude, I just you know. You remind me of my dad, but you also smell like my dad. I I don't know. I wanted to. I should have asked him what cologne that was, but I didn't. I just let it be mm-hmm. because you know, because then I'll track it down and buy it, and then I'll smell like my dad, and yeah, I don't need all that in my life. Right then now. you'll just <laughs> hug yourself all hug day, myself, basically. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but um, <laughs> those those are the things that really like throw me off. Like I could be in the mall, and and you know, if I run into a certain age guy, you know, if I run into a guy who's between. I don't know, 60 and 80, they probably all bought the same cologne at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you guys are throwing me off today. I'm trying to, I'm trying to have a, 
I don't know. It, 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 it's not a bad day that it, it just becomes like a melancholy kind of day, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah it's those, uh, I'm sure there's some kind of better word for it, but it's those sensory reminders of like music or um, smells or, yeah. you know, foods or whatever it may be that just like rock you yeah that completely like just overwhelm you from memories of that person yeah i get those yeah yeah for sure and yeah yeah well moving on <laughs> um so was he still uh pastoring up until the point that he passed or no he he actually <laughs> funny story it's not funny at all it's actually kind of sad he was um my dad was you know the scripture be thou faithful even unto death Mm-hmm. That's literally my dad. He was driving a bus um, full of homeless people to Bible study, and he he got them to Bible study. He he did the Bible study. He you know he taught the Bible study, and at the end of service, everybody left the sanctuary to go get on the bus. And I don't know. They just maybe they just realized it took them too long, and um, they came back in, and he had. He had passed out right there on the floor in the sanctuary. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was living a young and free life before my dad died. And mm-hmm. once he died, I always thought that I was next. Like everything, every little, every little pain in my chest. I'm like, oh no, I'm about to die. You know, every, mm-hmm. every stressful moment. I'm like, oh no, I'm about to stroke out. And you know, it's kind of that, that's, I've, I've kind of, learn to adjust to it right you know obviously Mm -hmm. as i got older i started going to the doctor and you know getting checked out to make sure that i was okay but you know it really really affected me in that way where it's like before that i didn't really i didn't think about death that much you know but um now you know when when you're when a parent dies you you have one you have a couple ways of uh, of dealing with it and one of the ways that i dealt with it was just kind of embracing it and saying you know whatever it is what it is but mm-hmm. the opposite side of that type of thinking is that oh okay i guess i am next and mm-hmm. so you know i i you know hey they, they have good mental health counseling down here in georgia i might i might actually uh <laughs> i might actually take a look into it hey how about that? well hopefully i'm not uh this is not the precursor to that <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that responsibility no no you know get some everybody everybody needs therapy everybody should do it at least once in their life it's good to talk. I, I have had a few people uh, at the end of our episodes say I've probably talked uh, to you more than I've talked to another guy yeah. uh, for this long yeah. in probably close to a decade. So I know that Listen, men typically do not do this. Everybody has daddy issues. So you knew what you were getting <laughs> into when you started this podcast, my friend. That's right. It, it, it's right there in the name. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think. For me, it's always been, I've had that in a different way. And it's been looking at his age because he was not that old. I think he was 62 and (laughs) he had uh, brain cancer. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's always been one of those things. But I think if anybody, it freaks my wife out more than it does with me because any of these you know, something that's bigger than just a side ache, she mm. starts to get a little bit worried. And mm-hmm. yeah, man, those, those type of traumas, like they come, they just, they just nag you, nag you, nag you all the time. And, um, 
with something like stress, right? Stress and anxiety, they actually can contribute to, you know, the stroke and the heart attack and that kind of thing. So it becomes mm-hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy in its own way. But I, I was chuckling earlier because my dad was 61 when he passed away. So when he says 62, oh. I'm like, November, and it's like, ah. <laughs> this is the beginning of, uh, of our amazing friendship exactly. of having way too many similarities. Right. Similarities with our daddy <laughs> issues. <laughs> yeah. So your time when you were like a teenager and your dad is a pastor, how was that spent? Were you... I'm interested from the PK side of it. Were you kind of just rolling along with it and good to go? Or was there any kind of rebellion that was going on either with you or anybody in your, uh, of your siblings? Yeah, we, you know, everybody says that PKs were the worst kind, right? Mm -hmm. I, we were all pretty square, like, and not square as in like whack, but square as in that we <laughs> didn't really care to get into a lot of trouble. That wasn't really our thing. Mm-hmm. Like the number one thing I did from the time I was like four, I cussed like a sailor, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Now I led, I, I led a double life. My parents never knew that I, my dad passed away not knowing how much I cursed. Now, my mother, <laughs> she's gotten to know me in my thirties and my late thirties. And you know, stuff gets hard and I'll just drop the F-bomb and she was like, I'm surprised by myself. I finally grown up. I've said the F-bomb around my mother. But, you know, that was my only little way of rebelling was just cursing as much as much as I possibly could. But other than that, like, you know, we never, none of us got arrested. None of us, you know, mm-hmm. you know, had kids before we got married. And not that that's like, that's actually a great thing now. Like, if you can you know, survive all the other stuff. <laughs> you yeah. get pregnant. That's like the least of some of our worries. Yeah, seriously. But, um, and it's just like times change like that. But, you know, we were pretty straightforward kids. I was into the ministry because I was into music. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I was like 16, I started playing when I was like 14, 15. And at 16, I started playing for the church. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now, where me and my father actually got at odds with each other was... The pressure I was putting on him, see, I'm, I'm making it my problem, not his. It was actually his. <laughs> but for the sake of this story, I'm going to own it. I was putting more <laughs> pressure on him through the church to do all these things that are new and fancy. And let's try this and let's do a praise team and let's do all that. And let's do this mm-hmm. modern music, this contemporary Kirk Franklin. And, and, his, and the church was like really against it. And so he's trying to navigate you know, his overambitious son and, you know, triangulate that rather with, with the membership who's like critical, like, you know, we can't just, can't just knock all of these old people because they're the ones who are keeping the lights on. I wasn't paying any tithes and offerings, you know? So, um, that, that became contentious over the years and really one of the spots where he and I had our one major falling out that I really, came to regret for many, many, many years, even after he had passed away. I I mean, hell, this is this is daddy unscripted. I might as well say it. So the number <laughs> one thing that I regret with my father, and it haunts me to this day, is I felt betrayed by him. I felt that he had sandbagged me in a particular instance at the church. The particular details don't matter. That's how I felt. And I ran, I, I stormed into his office and we got into at the church. We got into a heated argument at the church and I called him a failure. Now, mm. nothing else matters in the conversation before or after I call my dad a failure. 
And to me, that hurt. <laughs> I don't know how it made him feel, but that hurt me to this day. And I don't know that I, I feel like I let it go. Um, some years ago, I did have a chance to apologize to him before he passed away. Like maybe, maybe even like a month, two months before he passed away, I just got on the phone mm. and I called him and I said, Hey man, I'm sorry about what happened. I know it was a long time ago, blah, 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 blah. But you know, and he laughed it off. He was like, yeah, man, you were just feeling yourself. You're just getting some hair underneath your chin and you had to express <laughs> yourself. But I know if I know him as now, as I think he was then, um, I heard him. And, mm-hmm. and that hurt still hurts me to this day. I try to forgive myself. I try to explain that it was just, you know, I felt betrayed. I was 16. Or I, no, 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 I'm sorry. I wasn't 16. I had to be like 20, 21. So I was a grown man. I, I, I should have known better. But, you know, and I, I still talk about it with my wife here and there. And she, she, you know, she gives me some, you know, some good advice with regard to that. But no matter how much I've attempted to let it go, like, you say things and when you say things, they hurt, man. They, they, I don't know how yeah. hurt he was, but I know that I'm still hurt because I said that. And part of the way I know I'm still hurt is because I feel at times that, um, that I've cursed myself to be a failure because I said that to my dad and, uh, my little brother, I said this to my little brother and, um, I think he gave me the only advice that actually helps is, and he said this, he said, okay, so what, maybe you are cursed. What you going to do about it? beat the curse mm. and i was like mm-hmm. okay that i can do i can't really let go of the emotional baggage that was attached to it but if you put a challenge in front of me i can my yeah. you know my you know my pride and my my ego and all that stuff rears up and i say you know what i can beat the curse and um so i'm actively trying to beat it <laughs> so pray for, pray for <laughs> me here <laughs> well i will do but also like from the outside the little bit that i know of you like I would say that you're beating it pretty well. I appreciate it, man. I, 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 thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You've got three kids. Yeah. It, there's one thing I don't, I know it's about moms, but I think it goes uh, a lot for dads as well. That from the movie, I'm making this sound like this is going to be very deep <laughs> and then I'm going to kind of throw a wrench in there um, from the old movie, the crow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where the little girl, um, is having some kind of thing with her mom and the star of uh, The Crow, Mr. Lee, says the name mom is God on the lips of a child. Mm. And I think that goes for moms and dads yeah. that we just always need to. That is one of our big responsibilities as parents to remember how important that role is and even in those little things, even in those little moments. And like you said, going outside and throwing a Frisbee with your kids or whatever is an indelible life experience that they will still remember just as we do when we're in our forties of our parents. Like we have a, we're renting a house here in Atlanta because we, I kind of moved down at the very last second, just like, okay, let's go to Atlanta. And, but the, the house that we are renting, the street is beautiful when it's not raining which it does all the mm-hmm. time here in Atlanta, but I digress. <laughs> but when, it, when the sun is out, <laughs> the trees overlap, they give it kind of like a little canopy feel and you look all the way down the street. It's just a really beautiful scene. And that's what I want my kids to always remember. Like I, the next neighborhood, I, I, the way the street looks is going to be just as important because I want them to have these 
memories of home that are associated with beauty, with being outdoors, with dad, um, whether it's riding their bike, whatever it may be, and and to shift gears really hard, really quickly. The other thing that my dad never really did because he came from an old school. I this is no knock on him. It's just a different generation. My dad, I don't remember my dad ever apologizing to me. Hmm. I remember him going off on me. I remember him yelling at me and I remember him mm-hmm. being patient with me. Right. I remember him giving me some second chances. There were some butt whippings that I should have gotten that he didn't, you know, he was, <laughs> he, he was uh, demonstrating grace and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I never really remember him pulling me to the side and say, Hey man, I overreacted. And um, that's one thing that I'm intentionally trying to practice with my kids is like to just show them like, yes, I will be a disciplinarian. Yes, you will get punished time out. But mm-hmm. when I overreact, I take a step back and I explain to them I was wrong and I'm sorry and daddy will do better. But don't take that for granted because if you mess up tomorrow, I'll still get you <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, but, yeah. But um, I just I, I think that's important for, for parents to do is because like while they look at us and they think of us as like you said gods you know they that we're their entire world we're their universe I, I think it means something for them to understand that who they are and the person that they're shaping into themselves into being matters to us more than our omnipotence around the house. Like I don't have to be right all the time with my kids. I want to show them that, okay, I can be wrong and this is how you handle a situation where you're wrong. And this is how you pick up and go ahead and do it right the next time. And those moments mean so much. And like, I think about it with my daughter too, who is, is a little miss know-it-all and and a lot of times she's right and a lot of times she's very wrong, but she still stands just as firmly in that wrongness as she does in her rightness. And you got to love it. Yeah. When she's right, I give her all the kudos for it, but I will, you know, remind her when she's wrong, like you need to have some humility. <laughs> it is, um, <laughs> it, it is something the other day, just a really, really, really funny story. My wife left me here with all three kids. And, I, the, the one-year-old was just, um, he was, you know, crawling on the floor, going into a corner where I didn't see him. And so I mm. asked the kids, knowing good and well, it's not their responsibility. I said, hey, 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 who's watching Jeremiah? And she said, why aren't you watching Jeremiah? <laughs> oh, geez. And I was, so, I was, you know, if had that been me when I was a kid, I probably would have got a shoe thrown in my mouth. <laughs> but I was so impressed with her temerity and her boldness that I like I genuinely want her to always keep that confidence to question authority, especially when authority is not doing what it's supposed to do. So mm-hmm. like, those are some key traits that my parents didn't really foster. I want I want them to get that now because <laughs> they're going to run into that type of mess in high school, like in middle school. It's coming next week if they're not careful. So, mm-hmm. But that was just anyway. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> that's awesome that's great though but but also again like to you we have to take that single moment because i think it's human nature regardless of age for that to come at you kind of like a little barb (laughs) and for you to want to give one back and for us it's important to take that second to say you're right (laughs) it was it was delivers it was delivered with so much 
the, the timing. She had such perfect timing and delivery. <laughs> it was like the punchline to the perfect comedian's delivery. And I was uh-huh. like, I was so impressed. I had no desire whatsoever to give her a tit for tat. I really wanted to give her a high five, which was wrong in yeah. a way. But um, but yeah, no, she she did that. She did that. That's one of those things like when you're talking with your kids and they're, they're in that moment of punishment and they say something that makes you want to laugh <laughs> so bad. And especially if both of you are there, usually one parent walks away and gets to laugh and the other one has to keep the straight face. Exactly. And maintain during Man, that we time. We are all living. This is what I realized. We are all living the same lives. Like we have the same experiences just in different addresses. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And these kids are all little versions of us right now. That's the crazy thing. Like, that's what we all also have to remember is that we are responsible for that upbringing and raising these kids to be better uses or better the people that are around us that we don't think are maybe living up to what their standard should be. So I'm going to roll that in and try to make this a fantastic segue into um, the things that you are doing, because I think that all of the work that you are doing has to do with that has to do with helping us be better humans and be more aware. And, you know, it all kind of circulates with a lot of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast with other people about just the basics of human kindness and, gentle kindness and us having um, a lot of those things that you as a fellow PK heard all of a lot of these terms as a kid. And I think that a lot of that is gone. And I think that a lot of that does fall as well into the acceptance of all of us as humans and as one people. So I know you do so much. So I don't know where, if it's better for you to start as a timeline, like what came first as far as Progressive Army and your Benjamin Dixon show and everything. So lay it on us. Oh, wow. 2014 Christmas time, we were in Boston and I was listening. I'm going to give you the most (laughs) abstract version of this story. Um, (laughs) I was listening to Anthony Hamilton. Uh, at the point of it all, it's R and B song. The point of it all, and mm-hmm. something about something he said in the song, or maybe it was just the pitch of his voice. It pushed me off the bench from considering doing this to like, oh no, I'm doing it. And because mm-hmm. up to that point, I had been going back and forth with my brother, who had insisted, Ben, you have something to say, and I'm like. I had nothing to say that nobody else is already saying. And we went back and forth about that for about two months. And then Christmas time came along and I was going through the mall and I'm listening to the point of it all by Anthony Hamilton. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's might just some kind of resonance in his voice that really just resonated in me. And I jumped off the sideline and, and decided to do it. I, I figured out what I was going to call the name of my show. I, I could not think of anything else. I actually was going to call my show. You'll get this instantly. The Paul Damascus show. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, it's, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would have been a good name. I don't know. But I gave it up and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I suck at calling, you know, naming shows. So I'm just going to call it the Benjamin Dixon show. So that came right mm-hmm. after Christmas around January. And um, I, you know, I'm a stickler for sound. And I think you and I probably 
get that from our church experience and sound and church and all that kind of stuff, just trying to make sure that the audio quality was good. So I, I put all my money into um, into getting a really good microphone and a mixing board and, you know, an extra computer and to, so that I could take phone calls. And I just literally pieced it together piece by piece. I built the website. I took my own photographs. Like I, 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 I got the camera. I made my brother sit in my seat and I focused the lens. And then I, I then I got in the seat <laughs> awesome. and told him to take it. I mean, literally everything. And um, we just started recording and he left town. He was, he had been staying with me for a couple of months. He left town and um, I was just there and I, I just kept going and doing episodes and really just enjoyed the ability to analyze things in this space and to give my opinion, even if it was only to like five people at a time, which mm-hmm. it literally was at one point, actually, I think I had like two people one time and, and it just kept growing from there. Uh, so about a year later, I'd built enough relationships to start the progressive army. And um, that actually, that name came from uh, one of the guys I still keep up with. Uh, he was in the chat room and he was like, good night, progressive army. And I was like, whoa, 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 hmm. whoa, whoa. Hey, fella, what are you doing with that <laughs> name there? So I snatched the name up, yeah. the domains and, and registered it and everything. And we started the progressive army with some volunteers. Now, a lot of people think that the progressive army was bigger than what it really was. It was never big. Like we, it was seven of us, maybe, maybe 10 of us. That was the size of our army Mm. in terms of like people who actually connected to it and writing for us. And, you know, we had a lot of relationships that we extended people who considered themselves to be a part of the progressive army, but no, at the core of it, I can actually break it down. It's probably like six of us. Um, And we never had a whole lot of following, but what we always had was an outsized level of influence. And because of how we presented ourselves, because of how high quality I attempted to make every episode, whether uh, as particularly on the audio side, you know, video is so much more expensive than audio to do right. But on the audio side, we made sure it always sounded right. And people really thought we were getting funded by George Soros. And I used to laugh because I'm like, (laughs) no, I'm literally going to work. Um, I'm up at six o'clock. I'm jumping. I drop the kids off at the, at the daycare. And then my wife and I jump on the train. We ride to the city. We work. And then we get back home, pick up the kids and we have dinner. And then I put them to bed and then I do the show. That's how we funded the show for years. But we had outsized influence and people wanted to hear what we had to say. And, and those, that influence got us relationships. I started doing some work for the intercept. Actually, I connected with David Pakman there in Boston and, started using his studio and then I started doing these things with the the intercept and and then one thing led to another ended up in Georgia doing some politics here doing a political show here that company shut down after 6 months so my wife left a really amazing job in Boston to come to Atlanta mm. with me to do politics and the job that brought us down here shut down after 6 months So then we were both without jobs. I was unemployed and I was freelancing everywhere I could to make ends meet. During the same time, I was planning with Sean King on launching this company. So it was down to the wire. I did not have, I didn't know what I was going to do, man. This This past summer was like the height of stress. Like, you know, you don't have as many things to worry about when you get older, but the magnitude of the things that you have to worry about are just like infinitely bigger, magnitudes of order bigger. 
than when you were younger. So here I am in, the, in, in Atlanta, like I can't tell people that I'm broke. I couldn't tell people that I, you know, my lights got cut off over the summer, you know, because I'm supposed to be the leader of the progressive army. You know, everybody thinks I'm funded mm-hmm. by George Soros. And I'm like, could you please <laughs> somebody become a patron today? I need an extra five dollar patron yeah. just to keep from going into the overdraft. And so the whole time we, I was working, hustling hard with Sean to build this business plan and to strategize. And and then we launched and um, and so many people have signed up for it. And we're you know, we've been able to hire people. Obviously, he and I hired ourselves first, which was like a godsend. I was able to work and, you know, actually get paid for my work for a change. And, you mm-hmm. know, it just kept growing and growing. And now we actually have a staff of uh, some brilliant people from around the country who are doing some amazing things. And uh, so the North Star, you, you know, it's it's amazing. We have nearly 20,000 um, paying members at this point in in like the two months since we launched. And we launch our first product on February 14th. And, and, you know, I think people are going to really be impressed by by what we put out, both in terms of articles. We have some great writers lined up coming on board. We have some um, a great host for our television show. And we have um, the p- first podcast, which is going to be featuring Sean King, Patrice Colors of Black Lives Matter and Tiffany Lofton. I was originally going to be on that podcast, but I pulled myself from that podcast so I could focus on the other podcast, telling some of the stories that are untold, some just perspectives of the black community that are generally not told. Mm. So I get to focus on that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool, man. It's super stressful. Yeah. We got, we have so many moving parts and, and, and it's a, it's a really different type of difficult, right? Difficult over this past summer, you know, I was Zen. I was, I was playing the piano, you know, whenever I didn't have a gig, I was just (laughs) playing the piano for some peace of mind. And I was working out, I was looking good, losing weight and everything, but, uh, but I was broke (laughs) and now, now I'm not broke, but, um, like my kids don't get to see me as much. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. so that's why, like now I'm coming in and, and they're already asleep. It's because, you know, we're putting in like round the clock effort into building the North Star. So that's my, that's the last five years of my life and all the work we've been doing. And the North Star, I, I, for those who are not familiar, I know I could give a decent background on it, but I, I would much rather you kind of yeah. tell yeah. the past of it and you guys bringing it up and what all that no, means. Sure. 1847, um, Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist, the, the orator, um, the legendary Frederick Douglass and Martin Delaney, uh, who was a doctor, they joined forces to launch this abolitionist newspaper. And um, there's a couple of key things that that Douglas said. He was like, it, it's become evident that we, it is necessary for us to uh, create a media, and, and I'm paraphrasing very, very much so, but to create this this newspaper in the presence of our comrades, but separate from our white allies. And he begins to explain why that was a necessity then and and what's amazing is that that same necessity exists today. It's not that we don't consider white media to be and and to be our allies. It's just it's there's so many stories that have to be told that it's completely necessary for us to take up the mantle and tell the stories that the mainstream media is just not going to tell. Um, sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes the uh, omission of stories is a product of white supremacy. Yes, but sometimes it's just there's not enough time in the day. Or mm-hmm. for uh, MSNBC to cover this aspect. Hell, there wasn't enough time of the day for BET to to tell all of our stories and make the profits that they needed to make. And so not only are we doing a media company, but we're doing the media company 
differently so that we're not beholden to corporate overlords. We're not beholden to to advertisers. We're just beholden to our members and our members are here Mm -hmm. to hear really good storytelling. And so to come back to Martin Delaney and Frederick Douglass, the other aspect of what they were trying to do was to uh, to absolutely push the national conversation on the major issue of that day, which was slavery. Right. And so similarly, the stories that were necessary to be told to push America on slavery were not going to be told by other news media outlets. And so we're carrying that same banner, that same burden. And it's not just in terms of of white supremacy, not just in terms of uh, systemic racism, but it's just it's all the way around the board to just be a voice for the stories that are are, to to give be a platform, first and foremost, for the voices that are seldom heard, but then also to amplify the stories that are seldom told. And so there's a lot of burden and responsibility when you talk about Frederick Douglass and, and his legacy and the name, the North Star itself carries a level of responsibility. But I, I think people are going to be thoroughly pleased with how we um, how we honor the name, not only for the historical purposes, but also for uh, bringing it to the 21st century for a modern media platform. Yeah. And you guys, in the work that you guys had to do to arrange for that, you were... In con or you and Sean were in conversation with yeah. the Douglas family. Yeah, yeah, um, that's another one that's that like full credit where full credit is due. That's that's all Sean, man. I, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know how to get up with the Douglas family if I, I didn't even know they were still alive. I'm just, well, yeah, like you know, you know, but he he found them, contacted them, and had the conversation with them, and they said that they would be honored to have uh, the two of us uh, relaunch that. And and you know if you it's not important. Sean and I are partners here. It's not important for make this for me to make this delineation. But there was this there. It was an important partnership um, because we both brought something to the table that neither one of us had. Right. Mm-hmm. Sean had this massive platform. I did not. Sean had the ability to reach and con- connect with people that that I still would be trying, just stumbling over my feet trying to get there today. But I had been working on this idea of a of multimedia journalism, all three platforms, podcasting, video, and written journalism, and leveraging the power of closed audiences, and not necessarily closed audiences, but captive audiences is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, captive audiences to convert that into a media company. And so that has been that had been something I had pitched. Honestly, I had pitched at a couple of different places. I've pitched to mm-hmm. some places that you know and some outlets that you know, and some of them thought it was a good idea. And then they started breaking it apart till I didn't even recognize it anymore. And I was like, no, you know, I'm going to move on. Uh, pitched it to yeah. another organization, a more bl- uh, a, a black media organization. They're like, well, we have our own business plans in play. And I was like, you know what? Let me stop going to organizations and let me just, Sean, hey, man, what are you up to yeah. for the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's how we got together. And, um, Obviously, like in terms of the success, like 20,000 members in two months, like that's 100 percent. I think I might have like 25 members there, <laughs> but but we've organized this. We we made the business plan all over the summer. That was my full time job was just making this business plan. And and then we got it together. And we and we he and I got together and we made it even better. And and um, so far, so good, man, in terms of like implementation. So um, fingers crossed and um, let's see what happens. That's awesome. Uh, it's I think one of your podcasts that you were talking about how, and this like 
hit me like a ton of bricks because this is part of why I even like decided to even push forward with mine was you were talking about somebody who has like seven followers on Twitter and isn't a very well-known person, but may have some of the most amazing stories to tell yeah. and may be an incredible writer as well. Yeah. So yeah, no, Hey, wow. Yeah. It's true though, man. It's like, we have the opportunity here and I, by we, I mean everybody. Right. You have the opportunity to leverage technology that is relatively inexpensive. Like, but like you could do for about $60, $70 and a computer, you can leave a mark on society that will be heard by somebody. It may not be heard by millions of people, but somebody searching, using an algorithm to search will stumble onto your work and something that you have to say can change their lives. And, and the, mm-hmm. the thing about this is that you don't have to be in a pulpit every single Sunday hoping somebody comes to hear you. You just say it one time, put in some keywords for the keyword search, and yeah. it's forever there on the internet so long as this infrastructure is not, and we don't destroy ourselves, but it will forever be there for someone to find, and 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 you will have a contribution to society. So I, I just encourage anyone, no matter how big or small your platform is, here's here's the perfect example. I, five years ago, I was in my bedroom with an orange wall behind me because I don't know, I thought orange was going to make my show pop. <laughs> Like I would never, I don't know what I was thinking then, but it, it was a good idea at the time. And I literally was streaming with a webcam and a uh, Blue Yeti microphone. And that was five years ago. And since then, I've built the Progressive Army. And now we're building the North Star. I've partnered with The Intercept. I've partnered with, uh, I've, I've been on CNN. I've been, you know, a lot of different places. I don't think, I don't think I'm successful yet. Uh, I still feel like I'm fighting against the curse, right, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but, yeah. but maybe my curse is to never, ever be satisfied with anything that I ever do. But I can look back and say that in in, in sh- very short order, you know, whatever it was that Anthony Hamilton was singing that resonated with me kicked my butt off the sideline. And I just hope that somebody listening to me now will have that same resonance hit them to get off the sideline, get your microphone get your webcam and say something meaningful and let you know what, let God work the rest out for you. Mm -hmm. And you guys definitely have already, you are doing that, have done that. And I, for one can thank you guys because uh, you and Sean both inspire me to look into a lot of different things and to really analyze my life in a different way and let alone the way that I am raising my kids and what I am teaching them about all of the people that they come into contact with in the world, uh, in their world, I should say is really a game changer for the way that my parenting is going. So that alone, like I think, you know, our dads would probably say something similar to us that any lives that you are touching and any lives that you are changing in a positive way is a, you know, even one life is just can be the most massive success for you. So, you know, I, the, the, the one last thing that I want to say before, before we get out of here, my son, my son is eight. His name is Benjamin also. And I was walking mm. out of the house the other day 
and and he made sure he got my attention before I got out the door. And um, he said, he was like, you know what, Dad? He said, your dad would be proud of you. And oh, gosh. I didn't know. I was like, I was like, you never met my dad, man. It was like, what are you talking about, guy? What's yeah. Your, you know, I was like, yeah, I got a good, healthy family. You know, I'm raising you guys. He said, no, 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 no. He said, your dad would be proud of you because you have your own business. And I was like, mm. floored. I don't know. I yeah. don't, I mean, I'm still, anal- he just said it last week and I'm still analyzing it, but you know, it just, it really, fatherhood is out of everything that I've done. I think fatherhood, no, I know being a father has been the most meaningful and is still by magnitudes of order, more important than anything else that I will ever do. I would walk away from everything that I'm doing right now to make sure that my kids are healthy, happy and safe and fulfilled and I know I'm only that way because of my father. Mm-hmm. It's the most important work. It, I mean, when it comes down to it, like it really is. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much for being on, Ben. I I can't thank you enough. I can't say how uh, important all the work that you do is and how meaningful it is. And huge kudos to all of the uh, landmarks that you are about to hit and that you're going to continue to hit this year with it. And I, I really see amazing things for you guys. So, you know, may your work continue to just flourish thanks, out there. Hey, thanks so much. And all the best with this podcast, man. I'm going to go back and thank if you, you. Don't mind sending me links to your other work or um, I'm jumping on your website and just, I would love to hear some more of your work, but uh, you, you're, you're doing a really good thing here. And um, I, I know, I know a lot of people should be hearing it. Thank you. So the places we can send people for you, of course, on Twitter, Benjamin P. Dixon. And if you go there, you can see all of the other links to the North Star, to Progressive Army, to Benjamin Dixon show for your podcast and all of that on Facebook. Is there anything else that you want to drive people toward? Northstar.com, ProgressiveArmy.com, BenjaminDixon.com. A uh, couple of redirects there all go to the same thing. But the Northstar.com is where we are right now. And that's going to be popping February 14th. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. And I look forward to everything coming out this year. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Okay. And that is the end of my conversation with Ben Dixon. I don't know if you guys could feel it, sense it, hear it, any of that, uh, but I tweeted almost immediately after I was done with that episode how much that got into my feely places inside. That was a really, um, it wasn't even like we got incredibly deep or anything like that, but we, I feel like we touched a bunch on uh, both of our times with our dads and both of the, some of the work that our dads did. And it definitely choked me up a little bit. And before we were rolling on the episode, we were talking a little bit about that as well and talking about how meaningful our dads were to us. And I had just said to him, pretty much shortly before we started recording how it just it really does never go away and he was agreeing with me that even for him after uh, 14 years and for me at double oh, another that was kind of weird uh, at 28 years so twice as long that 
obviously from my emotional state after the conversation that it is still very much there for uh, the grief of losing my dad. So again, look for Ben in all of those places. You can go to his Twitter for you people on Twitter. You can go to Benjamin P. Dixon and is in his bio. He has links to all of those other places, but you should also absolutely check out the North Star. And we recorded this a couple weeks or three weeks or so before that release. And I'm just not sure where this is going to line up, but most likely just so I'm not competing and kind of going right at it. I will say that it's pretty safe to say that the North star has just recently been released. So make sure you guys check that out. That's at the North star on Twitter, or you can go to the North So again, Tremendous thanks to Ben for being on, to his family for giving me that time away from you, and to Max, his producer, and also his assistant. I really appreciate all the work that he did to make this happen as well. So I'm in my car. I literally am going to be putting my Spotify immediately to Anthony Hamilton, the point of it all, to listen to that on the way home, to hear what he was talking about. So maybe you guys can do that as well. And in the meantime, you can find Daddy Unscripted everywhere as Daddy Unscripted. That's on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. The email address is daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Daddyunscripted.com is the website. And there is a little companion piece on my website about the North Star and, and a little bit more about Ben and Sean's work for that. So make sure you check that out at daddyunscripted.com. Again, for those of you who are new to this episode, if you've stuck this far, I would love for you to hit that subscribe button to become a regular listener. You can also give me a review and a five star or any star of your choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life, but if you want to give me a review and a rating, you can do that on iTunes. That would be great. You can also, if there are more people out there that you want to hear about, you want to hear their story like we just heard Ben's, send me an email or hit me up on any of those places on Twitter, on Facebook, drop me a line. Let me know who those people are. Like Ben was kind of talking about, I send equipment around to my guests. You don't have to have a microphone at home. You just have to have a computer. I make this happen with a lot of my guests out there remotely. You don't have to sit down with me here in Southern California. And I would love to have more inspiring and unique stories to have all of us be able to participate in, to listen to, to be inspired by, etc., etc. So thank you all for doing that uh, continuously and to keep it going. I would love to hear more of that. I will also take this little second to thank Umphreys McGee for their music on the podcast. Thank you so much. Make sure you check them out, umphreys.com. They have been absolutely on fire so far this year and the end of last year. So if you want to see some brilliant musicianship and just have your face rocked off, you should absolutely check them out when they are local to you. Go to umphreys.com, find out when that may be. And again, If there are some other podcasts that you were looking for to listen to from Osiris, you can go to OsirisPod.com. I talked about this podcast, Road to Now, in one of my recent episodes. You can check that one out. It's got some great 
history conversations as well across the margin is also kind of in that vein where you're hearing some different conversations that are not just about music but sometimes you do just need a music podcast or something like that so i will let you guys know there's one that's really cool on the osiris network called burning ambulance and it's this podcast with their host phil freeman who talks with either an artist or a musician somewhere within the jazz music community. And I just think that for me, this seems like the proper episode to throw that out there because my dad turned me on to jazz and I have always been enamored with that music. So any of you out there who also have a special spot in your heart or love jazz music, you should check out Burning Ambulance. So thanks again, everybody. Ooh, I did welcome you in a different language. I did it in Galician. Falas Galego, which means, do you speak Galician? And if you don't, now you kind of do, because I have given you how to say hello, and now I will tell you goodbye, which is adeos, goodbye. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening to this episode. I should have another episode out in another two to three weeks, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, you guys.